to get to the next level, it's very expensive. And people think that you don't need to invest in the people factor, which is probably the major source of uh, failure. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we're dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Honest E-Commerce. I am your host, Chase Clymer. And today, coming to the show is Derek O'Carroll. He is the CEO of Bright Pearl. And he was telling me some amazing stuff uh, before we started recording. And I had to cut him off. I was like, I want to hear all this again on the podcast. So uh, Derek, welcome to the show. Let's get a little bit of background of what you were up to before Bright Pearl and kind of let people know what Bright Pearl does and all this information you you definitely have experience on. Uh, it was It was amazing. I can't wait to get into it. Sure, Chase. So delighted to be with you. My background is I did tech startups in the 90s, four of them. Uh, two of them were very successful. One was mediumly successful and one was a disaster. Uh, the last one I did, I, uh, we sold into a large enterprise and I went into corporate world. And I served 10 years, uh, ending up running a brand called Norton for sales and marketing globally, which is an antivirus product. And then my daughter got to 10 years of age and uh, my wife said, okay, you're free. You can go back into, into the world of sort of innovative new tech. And I joined Bright Pearl just over three years ago. Um, and what Bright Pearl do and what we specialize in is essentially distributed order management with integrated accounting. And what that means in English is keep a track of boxes and cash uh, as you trade in multiple countries, multiple currencies. And uh, your listeners will be well aware of the complexities that occur uh, once you go into that scale mode. So uh, today, Pride Pearl serves just under, uh, sorry, just over a thousand um, brands. And we process uh, in the last 12 months, $3 billion worth of invoice to cash orders. So that's me and that's what we do. Awesome. So today we're going to be talking about uh, these key factors that uh, you have uh, kind of noticed that are stopping people from kind of getting to that next level. Yeah. And, and, and that next level is very much, you know, you've got to maybe sort of one and a half, two million of GMV or of uh, gross, of, of basically turnover. Uh, let's assume that you've got the product market fit nailed. Uh, you're all very happy with the margin and you're in a position where to fund a nice little lifestyle for yourself. And then it's the obvious question on, okay, how do we scale? How do we grow? And it's typically around the two million uh, turnover point that we see customers running into. Um, a lot of challenges or excuse me prospects that come to us and and the sort of five areas that uh, that uh, we see and I'll, I'll fly through them and then you can dive in if that makes sense uh, absolutely yeah cool so the first one would be uh, a realization of what made them amazing at the beginning uh, positive reviews personal service uh, you know founder uh, interaction with clients uh, what made that what made their company successful at the beginning then becomes a negative uh, when they scale because they start losing control of the uh, operational rigor that exists within the startup as they scale past two and a half million. And the irony of it is what drove those positive reviews at the beginning drives negative reviews uh, as you scale and you lose continuity within the, within the operation stack. So that's, that's obviously a, a big challenge. And that... The second uh, area is 
um, as a company grows, they go into multiple channels. So multiple channels might be different marketplaces. So you might be on Shopify and then you decide to go into a B2B marketplace or join Amazon or use different shipping fulfillments. You might go into different countries. You might go into different currencies. And then once again, the, the, the myriad of complexity that pops up once you do that, both technology and regu- regulatory, um, really gets people focused in on, well, we need to go and get this Nirvana, this holy tech stack in place. But ironically, uh, and we did a survey last year of 200 retailers in the US, and I'll share some stats with you later on. But the thing that jumps out of it is uh, people are quite confused and don't feel that they have the right skill or operational nuance within their organization to make decisions because the huge amount of tech that's out there uh, uh, for people to choose from. So people planning and skills are actually the differentiator, not necessarily the tech, if that makes sense. Um, the The third point is the landscape is rapidly changing. And so, you know, for example, I suppose the the huge evolution of sales tax here in the US over the last sort of two, three years has introduced a level of complexity. And companies need to be able to respond to that complexity, obviously in a positive way, but also think about, okay, how can I grow my business in other markets or maybe in different business models? So any tech stack needs to be able to support the business model today, but retailers then need to think about hybrid business models, so direct consumer, B2B, or being able to switch and change sales channels as they required, because maybe they became too dependent on Shopify. And all of a sudden, they find that the payment uh, terms that they're being offered uh, mean that they should be looking at other channels to, to, grow, to grow their business up. And then I think the, the, the thing that sort of tops it all out is just at a macro level, the cost of new customer acquisition is just going up. I'm sure listeners remember the one cent per click days when you all went on to, okay, let's do some Google SEO advertising. Well, it's not like that anymore. And if you think about it, anyone who gets investments or anyone who who gets into the scale discussion, the first place they go is, well, we have to grow uh, new customer acquisition. And then the returns on that are diminishing and, and then some. And so therefore, you have to actually plan out at the beginning, if you're going to scale, how are you going to do it by maintaining the return on the dollar when it comes to cost of acquisition? And then obviously, part of that is your existing customers are obviously key. So being able to track and report on lifetime value that you're getting from existing customers is, is huge. So they're the, they're the sort of high-level trends that I hear about when I talk to prospects and customers that everyone's grappling with um, out there. All right. There was so much in there. And I'm literally just going to go right back to the beginning. So... When you when we first went into this, you were talking about all right. We're, these are brands that you're talking about here. These are brands that have yeah. they're they've got product market fit. So in layman's terms, you have a product people want. Yeah, you have surpassed that failure rate that ninety percent of new businesses are going to hit. Yeah, you are going into you know seven figures of sales. So like a million to you know two point five million in that range, which is usually. An entrepreneur's dream. They're like, I want to have a million dollar business. Yeah. So these are the people you're talking about. This is where they kind of get placated. This is where they get stuck. They get in a rut and they can't grow. Correct. So, and this is where any operator then needs to really sort of deconstruct how they go to market beyond the product market fit phase. And that's really important because you then plan your people and your skills and your tech to make sure that you have that same continuity 
of customer service as you scale and you don't drop the ball. And dropping the ball is is the ultimate arbitrator is getting crappy reviews on whatever it is, Trustpilot, whatever review. And the way I would uh, recommend that people think about it is obviously the, the key in English, it's what will you sell? But from a tech perspective, that's called product sourcing. So you need to think about uh, new product introduction, vendor selection, pricing, ranging. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you would need to think about under that. Then you would say, how will you sell? So that's customer acquisition. And this is probably where most retailers focus immediately and they spend huge amounts of cash on planning, advertising, advertising software, affiliate marketing, point of sale, email marketing. I mean, the list is, is endless. And then the third category, which is the real sort of area that I see most failure on, is, is delivering on the promises that are made in the channels that you operate in. So this is order fulfillment. So payments, fraud detection, shipping options, carrier integration, rate optimization, my golly gosh, the, the list goes on. And then when, when people get that right, the next one is, well, how do I deliver lifetime value from those? So that's customer service, delivery tracking, returns management. And then you get into the last two categories are making the right decisions for your brand and for your customers. So that's sort of customer service. So that's you know implementing barcoding in the warehouse or implementing drop shipping. And then the last one is sort of back office and operations. And that's where really uh, you enter into the area of scale. So that's things like you know integrated accounting, HR, uh, operations, all of that sort of good stuff, the full life cycle. So what we see is people don't think about, okay, who's my ideal customer? What are the uh, experiences I want to deliver to them in the channels that I operate in? And how do I get help on designing the workflows that I'm going to need and the processes that I'm going to need over the next year or two years as I break through that 2.5 million GMV? What are the processes I'm going to design to support those required customer experiences? And what I find most companies are doing and the ones that actually fail, they run too quickly to the technology stack without actually thinking about mapping the customer experiences they want to the workflows they're going to build and operate internally as they scale, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. Let's be honest today. All of your customers are going to have questions. And what are you doing to manage all those questions? Do you have a help desk for your business? One of our sponsors of today's episode is Gorgeous. And Gorgeous is the number one rated help desk for e-commerce. It integrates seamlessly with Shopify. We have installed it on a bunch of stores. It's also used by brands like Movement and Rothy's. And what it does is it takes all of your customer insights and information, brings it into one amazing dashboard so you can solve their problem as quickly as possible. If you want to give Gorgeous a try, visit gorgeous.link slash honest. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S dot L-I-N-K slash H-O-N-E-S-T to get your second month free. Big answer there. No, that, that answer was amazing. And it, it essentially... I'm going to boil it down to the processes and... I'm not going to say all, but some of the tech stack that you used to get from 0 to 1, from 0 to $1 million is going to break when you start to literally moving into a different just business model at that point. You're not a startup anymore. You are now... You're growing. You need to look at your margins. You need to look at your efficiencies. You're going to have to replace them all. And honestly, if if your systems aren't breaking as you grow, like there's something else going on that you're not seeing. Like They're going to break and you're going to have to re- retool them to make them work for you as you start to get bigger and bigger. Yeah. And, and, and I think that when you look at... Uh, when, when operators look at that uh, statement that you've just made, 
the nuance to success is all about how fast you make those changes within the system because change management and introduction of the types of processes and procedures that we spoke about is complex and it's risky. So you need to think about, okay, which areas are we going to double down on and get really good at in the next six months? And then in the following six months, what are we going to take on thereafter? I see far too many retailers getting excited with the success that they've got. And they go for that boil the ocean approach. So they come to me with this huge requirements list of new technology they want to deploy. And then I ask the question on, okay, who are the skills within your organization and who's got the experience of rolling out these type of technology sets? And it's usually then they go, well, we're hoping you can help us with that. And when we say, well, we're providing you with the tools, we're not actually giving you the, the ability to map everything together. You know, That's where most operators make a big mistake. And then they choose a bunch of spend on tech, but they don't focus on people and skills and experience. And they rely on the founding team to deploy this new stuff. And uh, that is a major, major uh, issue that, that we see within uh, high-growth retailers. Yeah, there's two things that I want to point out there. One is that technology is just a tool. Yeah, It will never replace human creativity. I hope not. Um, but like, it's it, it's only going to make you better and more efficient as a business. It's never going to get rid of the entire job. Yeah. Uh, especially, especially like even if you're talking about email automation, like you still need a creative mind to locate what those workflows should be, to write the copy, to like understand what the customer is expecting during that stuff. Yeah. Like what what they expect from those emails. Like you're not going to get rid of that human part of it. So if you like, I see this all the time with people setting up certain email softwares. They're like, "Oh yeah, we have that software," and I'm like, "Oh, how's it working for you?" They're like, "Ah, I don't know. I don't think it's worth it." And then you like look at it. They're not using it because there's no one around to actually like put in the work and set it up. A good example of that is people. You know, the point we said earlier on about customer acquisition costs is just going up. So it's all about lifetime value from existing customers. The first place that I see people going is I'm chatting to them and they say, "Right, I'm I'm, I'm going to put in place a loyalty program." And they go off and they spend a bunch of cash on a loyalty program. And then they find out it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is no one's really thought about the profile of the customer, what the customer is going to respond to, the psychology of engagement, and then what, how you're going to design your loyalty program around that. I mean, personally, I'm not 100%. I don't really get loyalty programs for certain brands. But that's another example of people just buying the tech and not thinking about the psychology of engagement, which obviously you wouldn't expect because these, these companies are probably... Eight, nine, ten people, they might have got to five million GMV. And as I said, all going very well and the margin's enormous. But to get to the next level, it's very expensive. And people think that you don't need to invest in the people factor, which is probably the major source of uh, failure. I think as your business grows, you're going to be spending more time on smart people on strategy than you are going to be spending on implementing some of these things. Uh, I think that's just how it goes once you get to a certain level. Correct. And, th- and then the leadership within the company needs to, they need to s- straddle the excitement of bringing those smart people in, in with the founders uh, because you're going to get that sort of culture clash of the new guys will want to change and implement all very, very quickly. And the founders will really understand the business. And that's another area where people underestimate the the pain that is uh, that comes about when you bring those two types of people together. And uh, I see that a lot. Yeah. A few minutes ago, you said you used a phrase that has been stuck in my head, boil the ocean. So it, you know, yeah. in, in, a, in layman's terms, I guess it would be, if everything's important, nothing's important, therefore nothing's going to get done. 
Yeah, no, I think we did uh, a survey last year, or actually it was in December, sorry, August 2019. And the survey was about the technology stack. I can forward over to you later on and people can download it. But the, the question was, you know, how are you buying software and what are the challenges that you face? And what, what, what I was pretty amazed at is uh, over 41% of, I, this is 200 retailers, by the way, in the US, uh, all trading uh, more than two and a half million up to 100 million. But over 41% of them didn't make a decision because they didn't feel they had the right um, uh, skills or people within the organization to be able to deploy. So like, that's a huge industry-wide problem if that's, if that's actually the case. Um, that people are not actually proceeding with acquisition of new tech because they don't have the confidence in the skill set or their own abilities to get it working. Yeah, I've been seeing some new SaaS companies going kind of with a hybrid model of where they're like, "Hey, our software is you know so sweet," and they notice that people are like, "Yeah, it's so sweet, but we don't have the we don't have the resources in house to set this up the right way. Like, can you do it?" Yeah. So they added in like high touch onboarding. Essentially, that's it's pricey, but who's going to set that up better than them? So that you know what we do essentially operations is it's complex, right? Uh, one of my major competitors is a company called NetSuite, which is a large uh, ERP provider that people can buy and use partners to deploy. It gets very expensive very quickly, it's got very long deployment times. But when we sat down about three years ago and we were designing our go-to-market uh, approach, we went, "Well, hang on a minute. You know, we're a fast-growing tech company, but they're a multi-billion-dollar corporation with with an old tech stack." They're going to be able to uh, always build what we have if they, you know, because they've got the dollars at it and they can throw it at R&D. So we decided, okay, we'll go out and interview customers. And we found out that the number one barrier was adoption and skills. So we have our own consultancy team that, to your point, it's uh, fixed price implementation uh, using our consultants who come in and map out your org. And we do all of the proposal before we ask you to sign a contract. And then we deploy on a fixed price uh, deployment, which is pretty unique for, for, for what we do. But it's to your point, we know that it's software and services and if you, because of the people factor that we were chatting about earlier. So that's what we've, we've done. It's been remarkably successful. But you know, I, I struggle finding enough uh, um, savvy-minded uh, tech people who, can, I can, who I can um, hire as my consultants. That's my challenge. Absolutely. So if anyone's listening here and they have a burning desire for ERPs and they want to learn more, how, uh, how do they get a hold of you? I'm not going to kick you off the show just yet, but you know, now it's top of mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just drop me an email, Derek O'Carroll at uh, brightpearl.com. Um, you can just ping me on that and I'll come back to you pretty sharpish. And we're based in Austin, Texas. And it's an awesome place to work. I can second that. I, I love Austin to death. All right. So um, is there anything that uh, we haven't covered today that you think would be, you know, would be worthwhile sharing with our listeners? I think it's be aware of what your peers are doing, um, if, if that is at all possible. And what I mean by peers is competition. Um, so if I look at the primary area of investment for retailers today, it's technology all localized around customer acquisition. About 66% of the 200 retailers we talked to last year, they were all saying customer acquisition was the number one area of investment. But I would just challenge your listeners to think about, you know, don't be the lemmings. Think about how you can get a competitive differentiator in other parts of the stack uh, in order to drive excellent customer service and loyalty. 
which is obviously the Nirvana in this area. So yeah, I would, I would say that as a final close. Derek, you're a fantastic guest. Thank you so much. Cheers, man. Take care. Pleasure. Bye-bye. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their journey and knowledge with us today. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our businesses. Links and more information will be available in the show notes as well. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, feel free to reach out and learn more at electriceye.io slash connect. Also, make sure you subscribe and leave an amazing review. Thank you.